I'm Marissa Norcross. And I'm Dave Freund, and this is The Next Page. Marissa, how are you today? I'm just dandy. How are you? I am... Oh, dandy. That's a good one. <laughs> I don't know if you've ever said I'm just dandy. Well, it's funny. My three-year-old, she says, when she uh, speaks to me sarcastically, she says, fine and dandy. Fine and dandy. Well, that, that's nice. Well, I mean, not that she's she being sarcastic. She says it sarcastically. But. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm glad that you're dandy. No, I'm, do, mm-hmm. I'm doing well. Um, <clears throat> been a long day. Mm-hmm. The voice is coming and going. I might cough a bit, <clears throat> but it would not be, would not be a the next page without a cough. <laughs> I do have not hot tea, but I do have iced tea with mint in it next to me here Ooh. in my trusty Yeti. How summery of so, you. Yeah, so um, do you care enough? Part two. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. last week, we, we really jumped into this with the first. So the point that I was making in last week's post, and, and we're continuing in this week's is, do you care enough to confront things that need to be confronted? Do you care enough to engage with people where there needs to be some behavior change or some performance change or, or changes that need to happen in a relationship? Mm-hmm. And so last week, I gave the first five pointers or tips or things we want to call them. The first was confront as soon as possible. The second was address the wrong actions, not the person. The third was confront what the person can change as opposed to something that might be an aptitude issue or a skill set issue. Number four, give the person the benefit of the doubt. And this does not mean that we're um, ignoring what's happening. This just means we're allowing them to explain why something may have occurred. And then the fifth one was be specific. And what we want to do is we want to pinpoint the problem, not attack the person. So today we're going to talk about five more. And the first one is um, avoid sarcasm. So it's interesting that you said your daughter (laughs) speaks sarcastically. But some people... Certain behavior profiles, and I'm going to tell you which ones they are, high-S behavior profiles are very prone to address conflict with sarcasm because it's a passive-aggressive way of doing it. Mm-hmm. And, and I remember once years ago, um, my wife made this statement, there's always a little bit of truth in every joke. And she's right. And there's always some truth behind the sarcastic comment. You know, we we think that people will get the message if we are just subtle and use sarcasm. When, in fact, most people don't. And it just, the the situation doesn't get any better. It just kind of, ah, lingers and gets worse and worse. So Mm -hmm. stop using sarcasm. Are, Are you a person that uses sarcasm? I don't think I do too often. I mean, I'm sure I do sometimes. Yeah. I don't I mean, know. If I, I, I don't think it. I address. I don't think I address conflict with sarcasm. Yeah. I don't think I do either. Of course, I'm an I behavior profile. So am I. And, and eyes usually just try to ignore the problem. Yeah. <laughs> we don't even go down the sarcasm path. We just say, well, you know, it's not yeah. that bad. But I, I mean, I I think if I recall, I'm high at i and kind of high s so maybe i do and i just i don't know well i haven't noticed it my husband might say differently <laughs> okay i uh, people that are really high s's use sarcasm a lot because they do not want 
to confront. Mm -hmm. So they'll make the sarcastic comment and hope that someone picks up on it. So please, one, if you, you know, a tip for, for dealing with these conflicts is avoid sarcasm. Number two is avoid words like always and never. Guilty. Guilty as charged, I am as well. Mm-hmm. I'm a person that often speaks in absolutes. And, I, and in my post I wrote, <laughs> I almost wrote, I always use absolutes, but I'm trying to get better. It's true. Um, what, and what happens is there is no possible way that someone is always or never. So it just inflames the situation. It makes it seem much worse than it is, and a person picks up on it. For instance, if you would say, um, if you would say to to your kid, "You never clean up the table after dinner." Well, really, you know, or you never put. This is this is something that I could say to my son Tim, and I'm. And I'll, you know, he's going to edit this, so he may edit this out. No, he probably doesn't listen to that much of it to edit this out. But Tim, Tim has a, has a habit of leaving a glass on the table that hasn't been completely empty. But I couldn't say you never finish your drink and take the glass to the dishwasher, because that's not true. There probably is a one in a hundred chance that no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> there are times when he does it, but he doesn't do it. You know, now, is that a big deal? No, it's not a big deal. And if mm. I, and you know what? I don't know if I've ever told him, so I shouldn't even use, that's not a fair criticism. But that would be a typical almost never kind of thing. Um, so that really is, is um, it's just a danger zone to be careful of. Number three, if appropriate, tell the person how you feel about what was done wrong. And, and this one I said, you really got to be careful here. The only time when it's okay to tell someone how you feel is if it has really been a personal wrong of some sort or where you, you get the sense that, that, that trust has been violated. I, I just Because typically, how you feel isn't relevant to something. You know, there's, if, because we can, it gets too, I shouldn't say it isn't relevant. It's too easy for us to get personal because that is personal, right? Mm -hmm. And if what we're trying to do is change a behavior that's work-related, feelings may not be something you need to deal with a specific issue, something that's happened. Um, but you can at some point say, you know, I'm starting to feel that. You may not value your position as much as you should. So just be really, really careful. Um, number four was help the person develop a game plan to fix the problem. So, and I'm, I'm a big proponent of this. Whenever you have a, a behavior issue, you need to change with a direct report. You state the facts or you ask them. I, I'm one that's been really big on asking them what they, th how they think things are going. And I remember once asking, um, a young machine operator, you know, who had really bad attendance problems. How do you think your attendance is? Oh, Dave, I think it's great. Mm -hmm. And then I'm stuck, right? So then I said, well, I'm, I'm kind of glad you feel that way, but can we, um, can we look at what the data shows? Of course, I had the data there. Mm -hmm. And let the data do the talking. Let the facts do the talking. And then I said, so what do you think we can do about this? How can I help you fix this? What could we do to develop a plan to fix the problem? 
And then the fifth one, which would really be it's either the fifth or the ninth or the tenth, rather, if we're looking at all ten, affirm them as a friend. Um, leaders are dealers in hope. And we need to convince the person that we believe that they can correct whatever it is that they're struggling with and that we're, it doesn't change the friendship that we have. Mm-hmm. Now, there are going to be some that say, wait, you shouldn't be friends with your direct reports. I, I disagree with that. Maybe we're not friends that socialize every night of the week or every Friday night, but I would hope that the people that report to me would view me as a friend, somebody they can come to that they, that's there for them to help them succeed, so, someone that's a mentor that really, really cares about them. And so I want to always affirm that to that person so that they realize that, that I'm there for them. And what also happens is, you, so it's interesting, we always want really strong relationships um, in our lives, and you can have a much stronger relationship after a conflict than you could have had before any conflict ever occurred. Because you never know how strong a relationship is until it's tested. Mm-hmm. And you can build back better and stronger if you really want that strengthened relationship. So again, affirm that. So those are the last five. Um, any of those that you think are trickier than the others? I, you know, I was implement? just going to say that compared to the five we talked about last week, I think some of these are a little bit more difficult. Um, yep. You know, they're, they're all difficult. Confrontation is difficult. Conflict is difficult. But it seems like to me that some of these really take courage to, they do. to do, right? So, um, you know, things like avoiding sarcasm and avoiding absolutes, those are just more practices. But things like telling someone how you feel if it was like a personal wrong, that takes courage. Um, helping a person develop a game plan to fix a problem, that that one really again, I mentioned this last week, kind of requires a little bit of a finesse in how you do it. Yes. Um, because yeah. you want to make sure that the person doesn't feel like you're saying like, here, do it my way. Or, you know, like you're telling them what to do. Um, right, right. But, but rather that you're you know, maybe coaching or helping them. And then sure. the, you know, affirming someone as a friend. Again, I think that that takes a level of courage, of vulnerability, um, yeah. you know, like you said, you, there, there's still kind of a boundary line. So you, yes. you still have to have those boundaries, but um, also affirming that you care about that person, that you care enough about that person to right. have these difficult conversations. Um, yeah. So I think these ones yeah. are a little bit heavier than the others. They are. You know, they, they, they take us to a deeper level of leadership mm-hmm. where we're truly engaging with a person in 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 like you said it it takes being vulnerable mm-hmm. you know i i was thinking of one example of telling somebody how you feel like if someone repeatedly doesn't get you the work that they need to get you by a deadline there's nothing wrong with saying you know is there starting off with the question is listen you know was it was i maybe not clear on when i needed it and if the answer is no i just didn't get to it well you know why do you think that is and, well, you know, I'm busy. And I said, well, can I just share with you how that appears to me? It appears that my work doesn't seem as valuable to you as some of these other things. Or you don't value the fact that I have to do this and this and this to get it done. 
that to me, those to me would be perfectly fair times to say, this is how I'm feeling. Because on a team, we should really care how the other person feels. And, and I would never want my um, inability to plan or structure my schedule to be seen by others as you really don't care about me. But that's really what happens if I don't respect somebody else's deadlines, that type of thing. So there's a couple more tips that I wanted to, um, to have us look into, again, going with the, with the crucial conversations model. And, and someone one time said, you can say almost anything to someone so long as they, uh, I'm trying to sit the, find the right way. People don't get upset with what you say. They get upset with why you say it. So you can say almost anything to a person if you've created a safe environment to say it. Mm-hmm. Where they're not wondering what your intent is. And so one of the things that when you're, when you're having these conversations with people, you need to look for them going so what happens is when we're faced with with a difficult conversation we have two people typically go into two different one of two different areas one is they go to silence or the other one is they go to violence so they either lash out say things they shouldn't say in a way they shouldn't say it or they just clam up and don't say anything Mm -hmm. and so what you want to be able to do is you want to be able to know when the people that you're having conversations with have removed themselves from the conversation when have they gone silent it's easy to tell when they go violent because they just like lash out at you. <laughs> they'll say something they'll, they'll they'll get very very defensive but some just go quiet mm-hmm. and what you need to do is you need to learn to recognize these signs um people that facilitate meetings well pick up on that really when did somebody in the meeting just change facial expression and mm-hmm. go silent and so what's happening is they don't feel safe in that conversation they're not safe to open up and share anything. So you have to really start looking for those times when that conversation is going in the wrong direction. And sometimes, and so what you'll have to do is back out of the situation. So some years ago, and I don't remember when it was, I talk, I think the post that I wrote was my greatest leadership mistake. And I talked about an employee that I ended up firing and I fired them because I didn't feel that they cared about work. They started missing a lot of time. When I told them that it was, you know, when I sat them down and tried to say, listen, let's shift your work hours so that you can work from, you know, start a half hour later and stay an hour, a half hour later because they couldn't, again, they couldn't come in on time. And their comment to me was, it just doesn't matter if I show up for work or it's just not that important for me to show up for work on time. Mm-hmm. And what I missed in a bunch of those settings was them not feeling safe to have a conversation. Mm -hmm. So they acted out by not showing up for work on time, by telling me it wasn't important to be at work on time. Those were all signs that something was wrong and I missed them. So what you want to do when you get to a point where you sense that somebody is withdrawing from the conversation and going to either silence or violence, you need to step out of the conversation and restore safety. And I think about the time when the person's, when I said to the person, listen, I'd like you to start coming in. We could shift your hours. And they said, it just is important for me to come in on time. That's when I should have said, can we, I'm sorry, can I just back up? What's going on here? 
Why isn't it important? I mean, on time. I should have stopped the con. I should have stopped my conversation, stepped out of what I was really trying to do, and say, "Is something going on? Am I missing something?" That's what we talk about here by just stepping out of the conversation and restoring safety for the person. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you may have to apologize and say, "Listen, I- I'm sorry if I've come across this way. This is what I'm t- trying to accomplish." So it's again, it's that be the awareness piece of when does somebody feel safe and when don't they to have the conversation because if we're again our goal is our objective is to change behavior and if i and if the person doesn't feel that i'm there to help them chances are we're never going to change the behavior so that's it those are those 10 points that we should be using took us two weeks to do it um you know i was trying to think our it seemed like our podcasts for the summer got a little bit shorter Mm mm-hmm so maybe we can just call them summer shorts. Yeah, summer shorts. You know, because um, people don't want to sit and listen too long. Mm-hmm. But this, these were two really deep topics that I really want people to think about. Again, un, uh, I, I, wanna, I, wanna, I need to read it the right way. Unspoken expectations are planned disappointments. So some of the reasons we're not getting what we need from folks could very well be our fault and not theirs to begin with. So I'm hoping folks will engage. They'll care enough to engage. They'll care enough to make a difference and our organizations can move forward. Did I miss anything? No, no, I don't think so. But you, do okay. you have any ideas for next week? I don't, but something will come to me. I'm sure it will. I will tell you this. I'll, I'll tell our listeners this. So, and I don't think I shared this with you. So in between some of our last, our last recording and this one, I actually went to Cedar Point, which is the most amazing roller coaster place, <laughs> I think, in the world. I mean, there's always a rivalry as to, uh-huh. and I went because, you know, I turned 60 and I were, I was worried. <laughs> What's going to happen to this old man? You and it. I can proudly, I can proudly say. That I went on the, you know, the, I went on some, didn't seem to bother me at all. And then I went on one that I really was nervous about. It's called the Gatekeeper. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it achieves speeds of 70 some miles an hour. It inverts five times. Wow. It was amazing. Wow. It was the last thing I went on in the day. And I wish it would have been the first because I would have done it more times. And I would have, anyways. That's awesome. So it was cool. Not that anybody really cares, but this old man can still do a roller coaster and he doesn't. And live to does tell the story. <laughs> I live to tell the story and I truly enjoyed it. And I'll bet you if people would do a, a YouTube search on the gatekeeper at Cedar Point, somebody probably has some type of a GoPro video of it. It was so much fun. And I bet Highly your, recommend Cedar Point. I bet your grandkids thought it was awesome that their grandfather was... Going upside down and fast. You know, I well, so I actually only, I only, the only person that would ride it was was my son-in-law. Well, Bethany probably would have done it, but Andrew was the one that was riding it with me. He goes, "Come on, Dad, let's go ride the gatekeeper." Um, The grandkids were still a little bit unsure of something that's that crazy, but they they'll get there in a few years. In a few years, I'll be back there with them, and we'll all go on it together. Mm -hmm. So with that, I'm Dave Freund. I'm Marissa Norcross, and this was. The next page.